This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, Putin's war in Ukraine has taken yet another turn for several weeks now. Ukrainians have been winning important battles on the battlefield, gaining ground, regaining ground that they had lost previously, and the Russians uh, have been on the back foot. But the uh, story has moved on a little bit at the moment, and Kiev and other parts of Ukraine are suffering a barrage of drones, uh, bombs, artillery in some places, but in particular what's being aimed at Kiev now are suicide drones, they're called. They're provided by Iran and uh, they are uh, causing death in Ukraine and, of course, more particularly in the capital at Kiev. And we're joined from Kiev now by Johnny O'Reilly, an Irish journalist and filmmaker who is in Kiev and has also been down south on the front line for a film, a documentary film that he's making. Johnny, thank you very much for joining us from Kiev. I, I believe it must be very dangerous there, and we hope you're well. Uh, can you give us an idea of the feeling that people have? I saw a pregnant woman was uh, a victim of this, died, and several other people. And, of course, there is enormous damage as well to civilian housing for people who have nothing to who aren't uh, in engaged in this fight yeah uh, the feeling is uh, uh, to some extent as it always has been one of defiance and um stoicism people adapt very quickly to whatever next level of escalation that occurs here um certainly it has unsettled people here that uh, Putin has been able to breach the anti-artillery or sorry, the anti-aircraft system around the city uh with these 
drones from uh, Iran. Uh, I and, and they they sound like they've been described as flying lawnmowers and flying mopeds, and that's exactly what they sound like. I heard one uh, traveling above my house uh, in the or my apartment in the city center of Kiev three nights ago. And, um, yeah, it's now become the ominous sound of uh, the war for many people living in urban centers. Those uh, uh, kamikaze drones uh, are, are cheaper than the alternative that Russia had been using, uh, cruise missiles. Uh, yes. And they, they, they seem to have the same hit rate, which is about, uh, you know, 20 or 30 percent, still 60 to 80 percent of all rockets and drones that are uh, targeting um, urban centers in the, in the country are knocked uh, knocked down by the by the uh, Ukrainians, but still, that's uh, you know, it's it's not a high enough uh, percentage to for for people not to feel unsettled about it. No, and I, I mean these drones, it's worth remarking, carry fifty kilograms of uh, explosive, and that's a lot if it falls on your house or your building. Yeah, it did fall on a, um, a fairly solid uh, pre-revolutionary building um, three nights ago. One of them did, killing uh, three people, unfortunately, one of whom was a, a young pregnant woman yes. who worked in, in a very well-known delicatessen supermarket. Um, so the social media was awash with uh, her image uh, thereafter. Yes. Many people know that shop well and can relate to her story. Um, but that building was a very solid building. It was pretty much leveled, at least the, the top half of the building was leveled. Yes. So, yeah, those kamikaze drones uh, are uh, powerful. And also, I will just let me, uh, confirm with you, Johnny, that... Last week, after the battlefield victories of the Ukrainian fighters, Putin appointed General Sergei Sorovakin, known as General Armageddon. This person was in charge of a, when the Russians were leveling Syria, including taking out hospitals and the infrastructure in general, leveling it to the ground, really. Uh, he was also in charge when the Russians did the same thing to Chechnya. Is it, do you think, a change of policy now that they have, haven't, their soldiers haven't been able to, to win battlefields or even hold ground, that they're trying to make Ukraine uninhabitable in a harsh winter? Because they're also aiming, aren't they, at uh, infrastructure uh, related to energy? Yeah, I think that is the case. Uh, General Sorovkin has a reputation following his uh, the, the wars he managed in Syria and Chechnya. Reputation for extreme ruthlessness and uh, lack of caring for, for civilian life. And unfortunately, also a reputation for competency. Yes. So there has been a, a, a change, if you like, in the systematic a uh, uh, hybrid war approach, uh, which has uh, now very much so since he started, they are targeting the energy distribution network. So those uh, drones that I mentioned earlier are mostly targeting energy uh, distribution networks. The uh, that 
the building where that young woman died was right next door to the headquarters of uh, the main engine uh, energy company in the country. Yes. Um, and Zelensky claimed today that 30% of energy, uh, energy distribution network has been destroyed in the last 10 days. So that's quite ominous for yes. uh, the winter here and certainly follows a playbook uh, that w- was established, uh, particularly in place like Aleppo, where yes. it, you know, the first stage is basically just to make life as miserable as possible, and then just to continue to try and destroy everything. And and th- th- they've come to this uh, point because they haven't achieved anything on the battlefield, on the ground, partic- in in the west or in the south. Yes, you so, were you were down in the south uh, of the country, Johnny. And you were down there for a couple of weeks filming. Where, where particularly were you, and and what what did you see? Because you were really on the front line. So I was down in uh, the Mikolaev uh, area. Um, Mikolaev is a is a town that's about thirty. Well, it's about sorry, sixty kilometers from. Uh, Kherson, which is the first big town that Russia occupied yes. way back in uh, the early March. Um, so there's an intense fight going on for uh, the ground in between Kherson and Mykolaiv at the moment. And uh, the Ukrainians have been making solid progress over the last six weeks, two months. And the Russians are quite vulnerable in their in their position because they only have about three resupply routes across uh, the, the the river. Uh, those routes have been destroyed. So now, uh, twenty thousand up to twenty thousand Russian troops who are in the region have to resupply uh, with, using uh, pontoon bridges, ferries, and. And, and, and other kind of unreliable methods. So, uh, they're quite vulnerable down south. And of course, in the east, uh, similar, uh, progress has been made in the last two weeks in the Donbass. So things are not going well for Russia on the battlefield. And the, 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 these, uh, Drone attacks serve three purposes, really. One is obviously to destroy the energy infrastructure. Secondly, to demonstrate at home with the the images of, you know, city centers being blown up that things are going well for the Russians. But the third issue, I think this is quite an important one. Um, and the, 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 these drone attacks really don't have much military value. They're yes. not going to change the um, dynamic in, on the battlefield, but they obviously, you know, are, are useful for propaganda, propaganda purposes at home, but also internationally. I think one of the, you think is quite significant that Elon Musk, for example, yes. and other kind of slightly mainstream characters like you know Tulsi um, um, Gabbardi. I've totally mispronounced her name there, that they are uh, essentially repeating uh, Russian uh, propaganda themes that uh, this war is not worth fighting for uh, for NATO. And these um, attacks on Kiev and other places actually serve a purpose in the international media to uh, increase war fatigue and therefore... Um, diminish, you know, uh, supply and interest in the war from the from the Western uh, governments. 
Yeah, just let me ask you about that, uh, Johnny, about uh, President Zelensky, for example. He, a couple of weeks ago, when things were going really well on the battlefield, as you pointed out, in the Donbass, which, in fact, it's since 2014, have been largely taken by the Russians. Zelensky seems to have, seems to want, or at least profess, that he wants all back, including the Crimea Peninsula, and that that's the fight. He wants the whole of the Donbass back, and he may be saying this for morale reasons. He certainly has, you know, led really, really, he's been an inspired leader, an inspiring leader, I think. You can tell me otherwise if you wish. But from the West point of view, they will, they might want Zelensky to stop sooner than he wants to stop. In other words, he wants all-out victory, or at least that's what he's saying, and maybe has to say it to keep the morale of his people and his troops up. Yeah, I think he has to say it. It's, um, I mean, it's obviously, a, a, you know, constitutionally, according to Ukraine law, Crimea is still part of Ukraine, as it is in international yes. law. So there's no way he's going to um, give that up ahead of any negotiations. Yes. But um, there could, a time could come if uh, Russia is defeated on the front line in the Donbass, in the south, and that many people to the right of Zelensky are pushing him to retake Crimea. Now, obviously, this is uh, 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 this point will come really only if and when Putin's you know government collapses. Um, I would say at that point the Western leaders will advise and uh, you know influence the situation yes. so that they don't try to retake Crimea by force um, because the majority of people in Crimea still uh, consider themselves Russian and it would be a, a different story politically yes. to try and uh, retake that. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Now, Johnny, you lived in Moscow. You know Moscow. There is also pressure, in a way, from Putin's right. You wouldn't think there would be any space uh, once you got to the right of Putin, but apparently there there is space, and uh, he has been criticized and openly criticized by Manny. This was a week or so ago when Ukraine was still having these victories and pushing the Russian forces back close to their own borders. So how tricky is this for Putin? And in the case of this uh, General Armageddon, Sorobakin, why didn't he deploy him earlier, in your view? Yeah, you, you've made a good point there. Um, I think a, a lot of analysts believe that Putin was moved to uh, point Sorovkin because of the pressure coming on him from his own hard right yes. propagandists and also a few characters in his government, including uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin, who uh, set up the Wagner group of uh, yes. um, mercenaries, which uh, are, you know, he claims that they are spearheading the most important battles, including, for example, in Bakhmut at the moment, which is uh, in the Donbass, where the Russians have made a small bit of ground. Um, so characters like him and also the Chechen leader Ramzan Kadyrov have been pushing Putin in the direction of, um, you know, executing a more ruthless strategy. And it certainly seems that uh, he has adopted that now that he can't uh, achieve his aims on the battlefield. And the support of the West, and in particular, the necessity to give Ukraine the weaponry that it needs. Uh, for example, the Germans have committed, uh, I think it's um, 2 billion or 200 billion worth of anti-aircraft and anti, anti-drone, actually, equipment. But they... They didn't let it go. They kept it for two months. I think they have released some of it now to the Ukraine, but they've been very slow to do that. Americans similarly have been supportive, but there's a feeling that they could, they have missiles that could go further than the ones Zelensky's forces have. Yeah, that's true. And um, I look, these um, heavy weaponry uh, categories, if you like, are being held back for uh, deployment, I expect, in some future escalation. Um, the, the, the one piece of equipment that Ukraine really needs are uh, modern tanks. The, the right. Germans have a, a tank called the Leopard tank, which is what tank commanders across the front line really want. I've been embedded with a, a tank platoon in the last uh, few weeks, and they are operating Polish tanks that were donated to them, but those Polish tanks are 45 years old. So they go into battle opposite uh, Russian tanks that are only five years old. Right. And so tanks, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of speculation amongst military analysts that, you know, tanks are dead, but tanks are the real determinant of um uh, success in this battlefield, and uh, the the Germans are reluctant to commit tanks, knowing that it could decisively tip the balance right. on the battlefield. 
but expect that to be part of a future uh, possibility uh, if, if further escalation is going to happen. Why are tanks so important? Is it because they can deliver the artillery to damage uh, infrastructure? What role in the warfare do they do they serve? Well, t- typically, what's happening on the ground is that um, you you have a two and a half thousand kilometer long front line, and uh, in, in the east, most of this land is all agricultural. So you have very small villages where uh, farmers, quite poor people, live, and the infrastructure is all uh, mostly kind of r- rural villages, not so much large towns and cities. And um, the the task for each battle group is to take over the next village. Yes. And you do that by combining infantry with tanks. So, if you know, typically what's happened is just attritional on a daily basis. There's almost like a routine of when artillery is, is popped over from one side to the other. And then a decision is made for a, a you know, to basically storm a village. And uh, you, you storm a village, you can only storm a village that is protected by tanks with other tanks. Right. Because infantry don't stand a chance. So you, uh, you know, you, you have an analysis of how many tanks there are defending that village. And then you have to covertly diverse, you know, enough tanks on your side to uh, take them on. And uh, so, so, you know, simultaneous to the tank battle are the in- infantry battles, and some of which are going around the side with analogs uh, or javelins to knock out those tanks. So that, that that's the, 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 a very typical battle that occurs. Um, and that, you know, when you re- heard and read about um, the all the, 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 the land that was liberated around Kharkiv a few weeks yes. ago, that was all led by tank commands. Right. Um, you know, so they go in first. Johnny, the fighters, the Ukrainian fighters, they appear to be remarkable in their courage and their commitment to to battle, uh, particularly when compared uh, in all the stories we hear to a rather unwilling or less willing Russian army, many of whom don't want to be there. What do the Ukraine fighters say about their adversaries, the Russians? They say that the Russians are much better equipped. Right. But that they're uh, incompetent fighters. That uh, Now, that incompetence is probably more due to they're not willing to take the risks that the Ukrainians are. And that, yes. that all comes down to morale and motivation. Yes, if you're a young man or, you know, I've seen many men in their 50s and 60s on the front lines here, um, you, uh, it's, it's very clear that you have two choices. One is to fight almost to the death, or if, if you lose this war, your country will be enslaved by the Russians, you know. So it's not, you know, any, any town that has been liberated from the Russians has uh, been exposed the, the the russian atrocities have been exposed yes. where you know awful terrible things you know 
summary uh, murders, rape, and uh, yes. widespread abuse. So it's it's that makes things very clear cut yes. for young U- Ukrainian fighters that uh, they have to really put a lot on the line in order to win this. So motivationally speaking, everything's quite clear for them. You've touched on something there, Johnny, that is tempting to uh, you forget about. I mean, remember Bucha, where there were rapes and this awful, appalling slaughter of innocent civilian people. And... Those villages that you talk of, we see pictures of them on the nightly news when Ukraine is in the news and terrible crimes have been committed by the Russians. Uh, people say that's the way wars are, but nevertheless, it is shocking to see it and you've been very close to it, I'm sure. Yeah, it is, it is shocking. Um, and it's, Part of the propaganda in Russia is the dehumanization of Ukrainian people. And uh, amongst the fairly uneducated class that are uh, taking up the ranks in the front lines on the Russian side are uh, many people from ethnic uh, minorities who have been subject to this uh, very crude um, dehumanization of all Ukrainians. And also they've been fed lies about Ukrainians having committed genocide against Russian speakers in their own country. Yes. This whole idea that, uh, you know, they are denazifying the country um, obviously echoes yes. a continuation of what they did or achieved in, the, in World War Two. So, unfortunately, these young people on the Russian side have uh, been fairly brainwashed about uh, yes. what you, who Ukrainians are, and uh, they treat them uh, in, in an appalling fashion because of that. Uh, just let me ask you about an aspect of the war that we heard about earlier, maybe back in April, uh, March, April, uh, where the Russians will go and take Ukrainian children and sometimes adults, take them to Russia, put them in some remote region where there's like Siberia. And there are tens of thousands of people who are displaced in this crude, almost savage manner. Have, have you heard of that? Have you, do you understand that? I've heard of this, and it's it's true. This is one of the shocking, most shocking elements yeah, it's about it. It's it's been very hard for um, the media to corroborate the numbers on this because everything's obviously in Russia. But um, certainly, there has been widespread kidnapping of, of yes. children. I mean, you take and, a five or six year old off its yeah. mother, and you take it to Siberia. Yeah. R- Russia, one of the big f- problems facing Russia uh, in the long term is d- demographic decline. It's, um, it, 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 the population is declining at a very fast rate. So, uh, you know, part of it, I'm sure, is about replenishing Russian populations. Um, and, you know, perhaps brainwashing those kids into, um, rejecting their own past and, you know, this, the, 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 the Russian plan here is to destroy the population and, uh, replace it with, uh, Russian, yes. Russian speakers or, uh, people who, uh, value the, the Russian mir, the Ruski mir, as they call it, 
which is this kind of mythical um, R- Russian world where everybody speaks Russian and lives very happily with each other. Yeah, just uh, before we let, let you go, Johnny, and, you know, i sure, like myself, all our listeners will be will admire your fortitude and courage uh, in covering this in the way you're doing it. The idea that Putin has in his mind, and it's, we don't quite get it, I think, but it was there was a picture after the f- the fake the rigged referendums uh, of the four regions, and in Moscow the four representatives, the men of of those regions, were shown clasping hands with Putin. You may not have seen that image, but it was clear and stark. Uh, um, but in Putin's face, there was a look of a fanatic. It's hard to describe it, but you know it when you see it. This wasn't a politician or, or anything. He was messianic, uh, someone who believed that Ukraine didn't exist. It was Russian, and the Ukrainians were Russians. And it goes back to that idea that he expressed long ago that the greatest tragedy of his life was the disintegration of the Soviet Union. What I'm trying to get at there, clumsily perhaps, is that he is a fanatic and as such is dangerous. Yeah, I do remember that image. And yeah, it was quite a shocking scene. Um, and I, and you're right. I think Putin has always been a slightly paranoid person. If you read any of yeah. the accounts of the uh, you know, US presidents or other people who met him in the early 90s, or sorry, in the uh, early parts of the century, they always pointed to him being slightly vindictive and, uh, you know, paranoid. Um, and 20 years of being uh, in power, uh, and in particular, uh, 20 years of creating a virtual reality in which uh, the, the, the lies and the propaganda are uh, fed to everyone as truth. And then when you are part of that, when you're controlling that, you uh, slip into this echo chamber where the propaganda bounces back at you and the TV uh, hosts who have been employed purely for their willingness to toe this line tell you back that, uh, you know, with, you know, provide new information. Um, So I I do believe that Putin is kind of locked into this, um, cycle or this spiral of uh, uh, propaganda and lies that he believes himself. So there's been a lot of speculation about the extent to which he is a rational actor. Um, I think, you know, when you're looking at it from the outside, it doesn't feel rational because he's not acting in his own interests or in the interests of his own country. Yes. But when you try and step into his eyes and realize the world as he sees it, that uh, he is acting within, you know, the logic of his own rationale. Yeah. But it just appears totally irrational to to those of us who uh, see the truth more clearly. Um, yeah. Just let me ask you a final question, Johnny, about the winter coming. It will be hard, of course. The weather in those regions where you are is brutal, uh, as we say. Will hostilities... 
uh, cease or, or will it be possible to wage war of any kind during those severe winter months? And just uh, an accompanying question really about Sergei Sorovikin, the kind of General Armageddon, that kind of savage artillery bombardment uh, that destroyed Aleppo, that, you know, destroyed parts of Chechnya, that, that kind of brutal, savage bombardment, can that continue even if stuff on the ground has to uh, maybe not be so mobile? With, with with regards to the battlefield in the east and the, the south, um, it's likely to be slightly less intense because at the moment uh, most of the heavy weaponry tanks and artillery pieces are concealed under the canopy of trees so in the winter th th those canopies disappear so those positions have to move a bit further from each other right so the, you know at the moment most of the front lines are you know between say 10 and 20 kilometers be between both sides and they're lobbying over artillery uh, they'll have to move a bit further back uh, because they will be so exposed without the without that canopy. But um, there are other ways that this war has been waged, particularly with the uh, drones, ballistic missiles, um, and also yes. you know it, 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 on the airwaves. So certainly the feeling of war won't go away, even if on the battlefield the uh, you know amount of artillery being lobbed across the line might be uh, slowed down a bit. Okay, Johnny, we're extremely grateful to you for talking to us from Kiev this morning. Johnny O'Reilly is an Irish uh, filmmaker and a journalist, and he is a very brave man, as indeed are many journalists who are in that theatre of war. We're grateful to Johnny, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.